episode 10 of the What's Cooking podcast. Today we have a Q&A with the listeners. You guys are asking me questions and I'm giving you my answers. Some people put me in some strange situations here. Some people got deep with their questions. Let's have a listen. Here we go. cooking thank you for joining me today we are back it's another wednesday it's another episode episode 10 of the what's cooking podcast guys we made it to double digits this is absolutely a milestone worth noting when i started out this podcast i was uh, not very confident in my voice i was not very sure of the direction that i was going Uh, you could even if you listen back to the first episode you can even tell i was speaking too close to the microphone and you can kind of tell some audio uh, problems when I'm like using the P syllable, it would kind of pop in your ear a little bit, but there's been so much uh, learning experiences and so many uh, great conversations that we've had through the first 10 episodes and I'm going to continue to improve and get better at speaking and keep sharing memories with some friends of mine. So we're very glad to be bringing you another episode, the 10th episode, hopefully 10 more are on the way, and 10 more after that, and we keep on rocking and rolling. As long as we have something to talk about, as long as we have people to bring on, then you're going to be getting these episodes every Wednesday. So fire up, because that's exciting, and we're having a good time over here at What's Cooking. so good stuff all around. Before we get to the main part of the episode today, we have another little balling on a budget throw in here in the beginning. I don't remember what episode it was earlier on when I told you guys about the TV that I got for free and wall mounted it for free. That was ball on a budget number one. We have another addition to the segment today because uh, I was browsing on the internet as I do and I came across a Facebook marketplace listing for a 42 inch Sanyo TV to 1080p. Got that bad boy for 25 bucks. That is a steal in my book. You know, my uh, my go-to saying, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but I try to get uh, 1080p TVs for a less dollar amount than there are inches. So if, if it's a 42-inch TV, I'm trying to get it under 42 bucks. If it's a 50-inch TV, I'm trying to get it for under 50 bucks. Today, we knocked one out of the park, guys. We got 42 inches for 25 bucks. Man, I plugged that bad boy in. We tested it out. Audio sounds pretty nice. Video is looking good. Set up the display and everything. So uh, I, might be, uh, I might be rocking some dual TVs in my room, even though I'm kind of loaded up already. But, you know, I can't pass up on a good deal. Worst comes to worst, I could probably flip it and make some easy money, but... Uh, That's just my little throw-in for the day. If you guys are budget shoppers, hop on Facebook Marketplace, look around. I bet you'll find something you uh, could find value out of because uh, when I was a little kid, I was always uh, thinking about ways I could find steals and like um, good value and stuff, and I just didn't have the opportunity because Facebook Marketplace wasn't a thing. I guess there was eBay, but 
it's just so cool to see how we've advanced and uh, these opportunities are coming up and you just have so much uh, opportunity at your fingertips these days and it's really important that you try to become aware of all the options out there and uh, use them to your advantage because it's not a, you don't have to overpay. You don't have to. Uh, some of the prices people are paying for things, they would be very surprised uh, looking elsewhere, finding other options that are a lot cheaper. So that's my little throw in, balling on a budget. We love to see it. Um, we were potentially going to have a guest for episode 10. That ended up falling through. Uh, not the guest's fault. Uh, it was just an unfortunate circumstance, but um, that'll be postponed. Um, we might have them on for episode 11. We're going to see how it goes. But uh, I have a, a fun conversation lined up when we do have that guest on because um, we have a lot in common. We have uh, some good topics to talk about. So hope that we can deliver that to you guys soon. But for today, what are we going to be doing in episode 10? Let me tell you right now. I came up with the idea somehow. I don't know how this came to me, but I thought it would be uh, fun for you guys to interact with me and fun for you guys to uh, kind of control how this episode goes. So I threw out on my social media pages a couple days ago, ask me any question and I will answer it on my podcast and we got 19 questions to go through today. Well done, people. You guys are interacting with me. You guys are fueling my content. You are steering the ship, and I love to see it. So we're going to get to all the questions that you guys had for me. I'm going to try to give you some detailed answers. I'm going to try to uh, maybe provide some humor, provide some perspective on uh, my point of view, and Maybe you'll learn something, maybe you'll have a laugh, and we'll get you on your way. So buckle up, and we're going to dive in here, starting with question number one. This question was asked by Macy, who is my cousin, and her question is, favorite cousin? Question mark. A simple question, and it gets a simple response. My favorite cousin is obviously Macy. Macy... Shout out for you. You asked a question, and uh, I did not get any other questions from any other cousins. So that's kind of disappointing. Other cousins, you guys dropped the ball. Um, I have 25 cousins, so that's one for 25. That's 4%. Uh, come on, guys. Step it up. <laughs> you, guys, uh, you guys are slacking out there, but guess what? Macy's here to come in clutch. Macy, we got to get another cousin meal going soon. You let me know what your schedule looks like. Uh, we'll gather the troops, we'll we'll rally the, the squad and uh, find out a time to get a cousin meal going, um, hang out sometime, have a good time, like always. So, Macy, we appreciate you asking, and uh, yes, it is confirmed you are my favorite cousin. Moving on to question number two. This one comes from my brother Dylan. He asks me the question, Why are you gay? That is an excellent question, Dylan. And before I address your question, I need to know, should I call you mister? How can I describe you? Oh, man. But uh, all jokes aside, my answer to that question is, who says I am gay? <laughs> if you guys are not familiar with what's going on right now, there is an interesting YouTube video of an interview 
that was done a long time ago where uh, this guy is genuinely confused and curious about uh, how to identify this person that they're interviewing. So it it made for a kind of a meme, but uh, Dylan's always uh, throwing around some jokes. So I, I appreciate you contributing to this week, Dylan. And uh, thank you for continuing the conversation because these are these are very uh, important issues and we need to address them. So thank you. Question number three. This question comes from Katie, who was an intern at Green State in summer 2022. And Katie, guess what? I got to give you a big shout out because you came through with not one, not two, not three, not four, but five questions today. Whew. Well done. You are going to get some answers today. You're going to learn more about me, and I'm glad that you contributed this week. So shout out big time. First one of Katie's questions was, biggest fear. What is your biggest fear? Now, there's a ton of different ways that you can attack this question. Um, Obviously, I think there's an easy answer, which is like, dying, but that can be in many different forms. So I didn't want to take like the easy, obvious answer. So I went a little more specific. Um, Biggest fear for me, I think it would be very, very sucky and bad if uh, I lost my eyesight, if I went blind. Um, I think that we have so much in our life that is dependent on vision and seeing things and uh it's so important to keep your eyes healthy and like take take good care of your your eyes i guess and i've kind of had a unique perspective on this because i had eye surgery when i was 2 years old and i had to wear glasses and i wore glasses for 10 years and then i decided to get contacts because they would work better for sports and i had to um kind of put myself on a strict schedule of like wearing my contacts at first because your eyes have to adjust to them. So you have to maintain the contacts and the clean solution and rinse and wash them and everything. So, um, this has all kind of shown me how important it is to keep your eyes in good health because think about what you would lose if you couldn't see anymore. You wouldn't be able to drive a car. You wouldn't be able to watch TV or movies or videos. You wouldn't be able to use your phone. Like, pretty much anything on your phone, except for music, you wouldn't be able to do. And that's just like, with how much we use our phones today, with how much we watch videos and TV and movies and you drive a car, like, that is life-changing. That is huge. So... Biggest fear for me, I, I'm going to say going blind, losing my vision. Um, hope it doesn't happen. <laughs> I hope I can stay uh, optically healthy, I suppose. But um, there you go, Katie. Hopefully that addressed your question. Second Katie question, number four question overall, dream job. <laughs> and I like how Katie words these. It's not even in the form of a question. It's just biggest fear dream job. (laughs) All right, straight to the point. Obviously, my dream job is being an IT data quality analyst at Green State Credit Union, duh. 
<laughs> that's what I do right now anyways. Um, I do in very much enjoy my job, but uh, if we're talking like dream, dream job, I can choose anything in the world. Um, obviously, you guys probably know I love sports. So uh, if I had the opportunity to work for like a professional sports organization at some position, I think that'd be really cool. Um, I don't know if this counts as a dream job, but like being a professional athlete, like playing in the NBA, does that, <laughs> I, I'm, I think my chances are toast now, but still technically that's my dream job. I mean, I love playing basketball. So, um, sports organization, if I'm not a professional athlete, um, I could do some sort of uh, data related job since that's what I'm going to, that's what I went to school for. That's what I do now. I could do data quality, I could do data science, data analytics, data visualization, um, kind of like predictive uh, analytics type of stuff to hopefully improve performance. That would be really cool. But uh, I think something cool that I could do on the side would be like being an announcer in sports. Um, I don't know if, if that would be like commentator, like play-by-play, or if it would be like stadium announcer or something, but... Uh, just think about like being an announcer, you get to watch every game, you get the best, you get one of the best seats in the house and you get to just speak about every single play that's going on. And you're letting everyone know about like exactly what's going on every play, every possession. I think that'd be so cool. Um, it would be really a unique way to be involved in sports and, I think that all three of those positions would be dream jobs for me. But uh, at, at my current point in life right now, I, I'm i very happy with where I'm at, so uh, I can't complain. Next Katie question. This is Katie question number three, overall question number five. Fun fact that many people don't know about you. <laughs> Again, in the form of a statement, not a question, but I like it, Katie. You're getting right to the point. What is a fun fact that many people don't know about me? I had to dig into the reserves of my memories for this one, guys, because uh, there's so many generic answers for fun fact. You know, if you're a freshman in college, I'm sure you've been asked a fun fact about you probably like 50 times. But uh, I did some thinking. I went back in my personal history and I found something that I doubt many people would know about me. And that is that when I was around the age of probably like five, six, seven years old, uh, I used to play the piano. I would get piano lessons uh, probably every week, maybe every other week or so. Um, I remember uh, this lady coming into our house and we had a piano in our house and she would sit down next to me and uh, we'd go through this little workbook uh, of music and songs and stuff, and she would teach me how to play, and we'd practice and go back and fix certain parts of each song and keep going through. And I remember progressing. I think the first song in the first workbook was like um, something to do with a, a speedboat or something. And it had like each little song had an illustration above it. And so I, I have like these distinct memories in my head of like the first one was like boat related or like, um, something to do with, uh, something on the water, like a ship or a boat. And then later on there was a song that had an illustration of a monkey 
and that, that was like super fun. And then we advanced into a different workbook and uh, went from there. But yeah, uh, I was a piano player for a short amount of time. I had a piano recital at some like public place in front of a crowd. And uh, I think I have faint memories of playing piano in front of a crowd. But uh, from what I was told, I was pretty good for my age. But um, I remember the reason I decided to call it quits in piano I was playing outside with my friends and like having the time of my life, obviously as a kid. And I would, my mom would like call me in and say like, all right, it's time for your piano lesson. And it's just like, if I had to choose between piano lesson every week or running around the neighborhood with my friends playing sports and doing random stuff, uh, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take outside, uh, having fun, running around with the friends playing sports. So um, I, that's what I chose, and we decided to no longer pursue piano. Um, who knows what I could have become? Who knows if I was uh, the next piano prodigy? But uh, I think I made the right decision. And I wonder, I'm pretty sure someone, like one of my relatives probably has a video of me playing at the piano recital or something, but I'll have to ask some people about that. Um, but there you go. I had a, a short piano career in my childhood for anyone that was curious. Next question. This is going to be Katie question number four, overall question number six. Biggest pet peeve. <laughs> uh, I have a quick and uh, response ready to go for this one. Um, a lot of my pet peeves, this is going to sound really nerdy, but my pet peeves are uh, grammar and punctuation related. <laughs> Um, like for example, when people put an apostrophe S for something that is plural, uh, <laughs> like the Los Angeles chargers and you have chargers, C H A R G E R apostrophe S. Oh, that pisses me off so much. Um, I also see that's pretty common, like in football, when you're saying passing touchdowns, if you abbreviate touchdowns to TD passing TDs passing td apostrophe s no boys no that is incorrect there is no apostrophe needed there touchdowns is plural it's not possessing anything it's not saying touchdown is so the situations where you do have an apostrophe are when it's possessing something like brandon's podcast that would have an apostrophe or brandon's the best basketball player that would be an apostrophe because brandon is but anything else, if it's plural, if it's um, more than one thing, like basketballs on the court, there's no apostrophe, guys. Come on. Let's get it together. English 101 here. Language arts with Brandon. Um, also, when people use an acronym, but they don't put a dot after the last letter, like if you're abbreviating United States of America to USA and you put U.S.A., that's incorrect. You need a dot after the A, too. U dot S dot A dot. Come on, guys. You got to have the last dot. And I see this so often, and it pisses me off. Like, each letter needs a dot if it's a standing for something. So, come on, now. <laughs> but uh, also, when the, the last one I'll share for my pet peeves. When people say, I could care less. I could care less. 
when people say that, they usually mean that they don't care at all. Like they, they simply, it is not important to them. But what they're saying is I could care less. That means I could care less. So you have the ability to care less than you currently do. That means you are currently caring a certain amount. So what you're really trying to say is I couldn't care less. Because if you couldn't care less, then you do not have the ability to care less than you currently do, which means you do not care at all. Language Arts with Brandon, Grammar 101, English 101, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) Biggest pet peeve, Katie, there you go. Hopefully you learned something about me there. We're moving on to our final Katie question. Katie, question number five, overall question number seven. Dream car. Mmm, dream car. Now, I'm not really a big car person. Um, I was very much a Hot Wheels kid. I did love, like, throwing, or not throwing, but, like, racing uh, little matchbox cars and Hot Wheels and, like, sending them down the tracks and ramps and loops and all that stuff but like once I once I got older and kind of um got into different hobbies I wasn't like a big into what car brands are new and like what models are awesome and everything so um I'm not going to give you a super sophisticated answer I guess well I'll tell you what I'm currently rocking with which is doing great for me um it used to be called the B Cook Mobile because uh, I had a license plate that said B Cook, Brandon Cook, obviously. Um, I did decide to retire the B Cook Mobile, the B Cook plates, because uh, due to confidentiality, I decided to go uh, a little more under the radar uh, for various reasons. But high school and college, I had the B Cook Mobile. And that car, for most of that time, was a 2014 Ford Focus. And I'm I'm very much enjoying that car. Uh, it can do anything that I need it to do. I'm not asking a whole lot of a car, so I don't have much high demands. I just want consistency and safety and all that, and it's been fine so far. But if I had to choose, if I had to choose a car, if I had any budget to spend on a car, um, I'd probably get one of the Tesla uh, models. I don't know what the best one is, but just being able to have a car that you do not have to keep spending money on gas. Um, you could, anytime you're at home, you are replenishing the energy and you're plugging it in and you're refueling. I think that would be so convenient and I think that would be so helpful. Obviously, it's environmentally uh, helping as well. And, um, just the technology with Tesla. Obviously, Elon Musk is crazy smart, and he's put a lot of time and effort into adding certain features to these cars. Like, uh, I think they do like light shows for Christmas and like random features that are super cool. Uh, the frunk, like there's a trunk in the front of your car, like extra storage. And um, when I went to my cousin's uh, place, he had a Tesla. One of my cousins does. He still does. And um, let me sit in it. And I sat in the driver's seat of the Tesla 
turned on the little touchscreen uh, dashboard thing, started playing a little video game of like a car racing game, and you can steer the car in the game using the actual Tesla steering wheel, and you can like use the actual brakes of the Tesla to brake in the game, and that's just so cool. Like, I would be in the I'd be in my car playing games so much, and um, just the technology part of me says Tesla. So there you go. Shout out Elon Musk. Onward and upward, we're going to our next question. Katie, thank you for all those questions. We just wrapped up your five questions. We're moving on to overall question number eight, I believe. This one comes from my good friend, Alex. Alex was a guest on the podcast a couple episodes back. Alex is asking me, what is a piece of advice you live by and why? Whew. Getting a little deep here, aren't we? I decided to crack open the old Bible for this one, boy. So if you have a Bible handy, go ahead and flip that bad boy open. Hebrews 12, 11. Get ready to learn. Get ready to be educated here. Ready? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. This Bible verse speaks to me. I think that this verse matches my personality very well. Um, It has to do with discipline. It has to do with setting aside your short-term desires to work towards a larger goal in the end. And I think that there's so many points in life where that is um, a valuable lesson and something that is very useful. Um, We took... So at my job at Green State, they had us take a strengths assessment, like Clifton, I believe it was Clifton Strengths, and it, you answer a ton of questions and it tells you um, like what traits you closely align with. Um, I took that strengths assessment and my number two trait out of all the Clifton Strengths was discipline. So when you're talking about discipline in the Bible, um, this this Bible verse jumps at me. And I think that, um, a lot of my life decisions revolve around postponing the short-term gratification in hopes for, uh, an achievement later on in life. Um, not, not every day is going to be, uh, the, the most exciting. Not every day is going to be Disney world. And, uh, perfect happiness. There's going to be days where you're putting in the work and it becomes a little monotonous. It comes a little, um, boring. It might be a struggle or mentally, uh, challenging, but the feeling you get when you're at the top of the hill after all the work you've put in is definitely worth it. Uh, the, the best achievements in life take time. They occur over a long series of days, weeks, months, years. So, uh, it kind of aligns with my financial, uh, strategy too. And that is dividend investing. You know, you, you purchase into these blue chip companies, the ones that have the proven track record, you build up a position in these dividend stocks. You let them pay yourself dividends. You reinvest those dividends. 
you're not exactly becoming rich in one day, but you're letting compound interest do the work. And then over time, you look back and all these small progress, um, all these small dividend payments add up, they compound. And then at the end, you have a great result. You have um, a much greater position than when you started. And it all happens by taking incremental steps each part of the way. So Alex, life advice for you. Hebrews 12:11 give it a look up give it a listen that's that's a big part of my approach to life Alex is asking another question shout out my boy Alex got to have you back on the pod sometime my guy I believe this is question number 9 Alex's second question he asked me what is my best Marriott memory what is the number one Marriott memory I negotiated with him when he asked me this and I told him I would not feel right sharing just one Marriott memory, so he let me do a top three Marriott memories. I appreciate that, Alex. It's it's so hard to choose just one, guys. Uh, Marriott banquet. Oh, I miss it so much, man. At least the prime. Not uh, current day, from what I've heard, it doesn't hit the same. It hits a little different in a bad way, if you will. But we're going to go on a trip here back in time. Top three Marriott memories. I'm putting this one at number three. I think that if I had a conversation with Alex and we dug a little deeper, these rankings might be different because this is my personal recollection. And if we were to brainstorm for a while between the two of us, we might come up with some different memories that take these spots. But uh, what I have for you, Alex, at number three, when Justin had some sort of a like foam ball. I don't know if it's a stress ball or something. I think we were in um, Oak Ballroom, either either Oak or Hickory, one of the central ones. It was in the center of the main ballroom. Justin had that little ball. He threw it towards you. You had this stage rod. Is that what you call it? It's like a curtain holder stage rod piece that like super thick and tall and we use it like a riser to hold up the curtains behind the stage. I don't know what you call it anymore. I probably knew back in the day, but you had this huge metal rod that you were holding and Justin threw the ball at you and you used it as a bat. And I don't know how (laughs) we decided to start messing around with this stuff, but you give us enough time to ourselves at Marriott. We'll figure out a way to use the equipment to play some game, but Justin toss this ball at you. You use the rod as a baseball bat. You hit it across the ballroom. You set the rod down and it made some really loud clang sound and you started running over to where first base would be if there was a baseball diamond. And Justin got the foam ball and turned around and absolutely beamed it at you. (laughs) And I don't know if it actually hit you or if it hit the wall, but, uh, it was just indoor baseball with Marriott ballroom equipment. And I have a video of it and it was hilarious. And I was cracking up watching you guys do that. And uh, it just reminds me of all the fun that we have there when uh, we don't exactly have a task going on. Um, we, we find ways to have fun in the meantime. So shout out to the squad. j Dog probably throws 100 miles an hour. Just kidding. <laughs> Anyways. At the number two spot for top three Marriott memories, 
the time that we were, um, I believe, I don't know if it was the entire ballroom or if it was just ABH and Oak that were uh, available for this, but huge event. We were setting up the tables. I think we were bringing in like cakes and setting them out at each table, like little slices of cake or something. But we had a survivor contestant that was practicing her speech over and over again. And um, she was like going through her intro and trying to get the time down so she would fit it in correctly. And me and you, Alex, we were bringing in these cakes and setting them on the tables and uh, listening to her. And it kind of got annoying, but it was funny at the same time. But um, our good friend, Dustin, Dustin (laughs) Dustin was on Big Blue, which is the the huge vacuum that you stand up and drive around. Dustin was driving Big Blue and he was about to run over uh, a bunch of extension cords. I don't know how he didn't see him, but he was heading straight for him and it could have screwed the entire AV setup up. But Eric saw this at the last second. Dustin was making a beeline with Big Blue to the cords. Eric, uh, our banquet captain, saw it. He starts coming over. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> he was so, he was like, yo, Dustin, stop. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and, and like for the rest of the night, me and Alex were just joking about this uh, lady saying her, her survivor speech while Eric is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a little uh, preview of, uh, what that moment would have been like if you were there and how Alex and I were joking about it the rest of the night. This is the lady giving her uh, practice speech. Just imagine you were dropped off on a deserted island with nothing but the clothes on your back. Beep, beep, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> it was just so much chaos packed into one little moment and that was enough to have me and Alex just dying laughing for the rest of the night talking about that specific point and just just the amount of chaos man it was just a sight to see and it was super funny and uh, that'll take the number two spot at number one I don't know if you can classify this as all one Marriott memory but I think I'm going to anyways uh (laughs) This is this is probably like a series of two days, I think. But um, there was a time, I think it was my second to last shift going into my last shift that I worked. Um, we went bowling during the day. And it was me, Alex, and Joe. We knew that we had a shift later that night at Marriott. We went bowling before our shift. Then... We saw the forecast that was coming towards us that night. This was like uh, January 2020. So we saw the forecast coming. We knew there was going to be probably like upwards of five inches of snow coming towards us that night. Um, We decided to prepare like we were going to be snowed in at the Marriott and uh, bring all of our stuff to stay overnight and kind of hope that uh, the hotel would let us stay because I we had heard of people doing that before, but I I had never actually done it. So, um, we packed up our stuff. We got um, our laptops and like all of our gaming stuff and like brought it into Marriott. Um, 
worked our regular shift that day. The the snow starts rolling in as we suspect. Uh, we ask, I don't know if it was Eric or the front desk or HR or whoever it was, but uh, we ask him if we could grab a room for the night and stay over, and uh, they let us. So <laughs> we head up to, after working our shift, we head up to our rooms and uh, all congregate and bring our laptops together, start playing some Minecraft up in the hotel room while the snowstorm's coming through. Uh, we were just playing random stuff. I have a video of us listening to the Big Time Rush theme song. <laughs> I, it's just so random. But uh, um, that night, after playing Minecraft and doing a bunch of random stuff, we were up at like 2 a.m. We decided to uh, start make making paper airplanes. And we went up to the seventh floor of Marriott, the top floor, and threw some paper airplanes off the balcony, flying them down into the lobby. <laughs> And just watching them go, taking videos of that, doing random stuff. And, uh, man, it was just a movie, and I'll tell you what. Just so many memories that night, doing some random stuff with the boys. Just anything for some entertainment. Um, just the camaraderie, man. It was so much fun. We played some games, we had some memories, we did all of our stuff. The next day, um, I believe we woke up. And we had Marriott breakfast, the buffet down there. Uh, we went through the buffet line, grabbed some food, and then went home. And then I think later that day, we came back for another night shift. And that was the time where uh, Alex had Tinder on his phone, and he would pull it up, and all the guys would gather around, and he would open it up, and he would just go on a swiping absolute spree and just swipe right on every single person that would come up rapidly as fast as he could and every time he would get a match we would all go hey 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 and then we would let him keep swiping <laughs> and i have this like 30 second video of alex just going to town swiping and he gets like five or six matches in one run and we're all going hey 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 and then he goes back to it hey 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 <laughs> and it was just oh man it was it was so much fun dude that all happened in a two-day span and then um it ended up with the legendary backhaul video of someone driving big blue and someone else linking arms and like riding the rolling chairs through backhaul and then i i turned the camera over to justin and he says i have two candles now aha <laughs> And it's just peak Marriott chaos. So that's uh, that'll take the number one spot for me, the collection of all those memories. Alex, my man, thank you for asking those questions. I'm sure that we will have you back on the pod soon to talk about crypto along with other stuff. And you actually have another question. So we're going to head over to Alex's next question. This is Alex's third question. And overall question number nine, I believe. Nope, this is no overall question number 10. Alex's third question. He is asking me, what is the best Marriott memory that Alex was not a part of? That's tough, because Alex was a part of pretty much all of my legendary Marriott memories. Um, there are a few that I will bring up that he was not there for, but um, all the greatest 
things Alex was definitely there for. So um, I think I've already mentioned this, but my first ever shift at Marriott, um, I got the tour from OG Alex um, and Amos was there. Our boy Amos, shout out, man. What a legend. Uh, we were setting up for a quinceanera in the ballroom. I believe it was an ABH. Um, we were hauling food from back hall across the ballroom stage of guitar players playing for the quinceanera. We had to walk across the stage, weaving in and out of guitar players and speakers and equipment and bringing guacamole to the far side of the ballroom to set up for the buffet. And it was just, a, it was insane. First first impressions of that shift uh, were very interesting, but um, I quickly got adjusted to it. So there you go. Uh, I will throw in one other memory Alex wasn't there for. I worked early on with a guy named Finn. I don't know, Alex, if you remember Finn, but uh, there was a time where we were bringing a water urn into Rosewood and he put it on a cart and uh, he brought the cart into Rosewood, swung open the door, drove in with the cart with a water urn on it took that sharp right turn to head towards the uh, water break and like where the, the counter over there in the back right corner of Rosewood is, took a sharp turn with a cart. The water urn absolutely bit the dust, fell off and spilled all over Rosewood carpet. <laughs> and he was like, no, <laughs> he was like, oh, he was so disappointed. But I was watching him as this happened. I was right behind him and I was just like, dude you gotta keep it under control my man <laughs> but uh yeah that was that was interesting um most of the best memories alex was there for but i'll throw in those two for you all right moving on question number 11 i believe this one comes from jacob jacob my good friend from middle school high school and college roommate for a few years Jacob is asking the question that we have debated plenty of times um, in college, which I feel very strongly about and other people feel very strongly about in the other direction. So I will do my best to explain why I'm right and you guys are wrong. Jacob is asking me, could LeBron beat my intramural basketball team in a game of 1v5 basketball? The simple answer to that question is no, absolutely not. And the original argument that I uh, was presented, or the situation that I was presented, is that I can choose four other players from our intramural basketball team, and I have to be playing myself to play against LeBron in full court basketball. Full court. 1v5. Keep that in mind. Um, our heights of the people I chose, our tallest guy is six foot seven. Then we have me at six foot three. Then there's one other guy at six foot three, six foot two, and six foot. And LeBron is six foot eight. So LeBron's the tallest, but uh, we have five people six foot and above that are all basketball players and are decent athletes. Obviously, LeBron is an amazing athlete, so he's going to have the advantage there, but we have five people and he is just one. And we're playing full court. Here's my strategy. On defense, say that LeBron has the ball and we're playing defense. 
Um, I'm going to put two guys up on LeBron close and pressure the heck out of him. And they're going to be guarding him closely, trying to get up in his grill, maybe get a deflection, get a steal if we're lucky. Chances are we don't get a steal because it's LeBron. Chances are LeBron is able to drive past them. But at least he's going to exert some energy doing that. He's going to have to think. He's going to have to um, use up some energy to get around that because it's a, a double team. He's not going to be able to pass out of it. He has to dribble. He's only by himself. He cannot pass. So once he dribbles past the two guys, we have three guys left. That's going to be the tallest guys, six foot seven, six foot three, six foot three. We're all going to be uh, maybe mid-range, maybe in the paint. If LeBron somehow beats the double team, he's going to be faced with three other guys in the the next level of defense. He has the option he could pull up for a jumper, which might be a good, smart decision on his part. Um, we might we might let him do that. If he's able to hit some mid-range pull-ups, then we might have to live with that. But if LeBron decides to go to the rim, we'll have three guys back ready to try to contest the shot prevent an easy layup um on the off chance that lebron beats a double team pressure up in his face and gets around three more guys at the basket to finish with a layup so that's the worst case scenario he he dribbles the whole team and beats us and gets an easy layup then we will have one person simply grab the ball step out of bounds it's only a step away from underneath the basket to out of bounds and while this is happening, one of the two guys pressuring him up at the top of the key is going to release full court. LeBron will just be finished finishing his layup at the rim, will gather the ball, step out of bounds, throw a full court pass down the court. There is no chance that LeBron can run the entire length of the floor faster than we can grab the ball, step out of bounds, and throw a full court pass. Zero chance. We will outlet the ball full court pass. We will gather the ball at the other end of the court. Easy layup every time. That's not hard to do. That's not being too ambitious. That is easy. Every time LeBron finishes at the rim, we will have one person cherry picking, so to speak. LaMelo Ball did it. He got 92 points in one game. Full court pass. There's no chance LeBron would ever be able to catch up. And... That's uh, that's my strategy. I think we would win doing that. Um, if somehow LeBron is able to run down and stop the one person, he's going to be spending a ton of energy to doing that. And we have the ball we set up on offense. How is LeBron going to guard five people on offense? We have five people. He has one defending. We could run a pick and roll with two people screening LeBron and one person with the ball dribbling around that. Then the two people would roll off of that. We'd have options going towards the rim. That's a good way to score against it. I don't think LeBron could get through a screen of two people, height six foot seven and six foot three. On the off chance that he does, we could kick it out to a different person who is standing around the three point line and just shoot threes. And one person would shoot three pointers, and the other four people would work on boxing out LeBron, trying to get offensive rebounds. Um, I like our chances with four people boxing out LeBron, getting a rebound. There might be a time where LeBron and his height and his athleticism are able to get a rebound over us. And 
Um, worst case scenario, he dribbles the entire court and beats us down there and gets a layup. But um, if he is exerting all that energy to drive full speed coast to coast and finish at a layup, we will be close behind. We'll be ready to get the ball, step out of bounds, throw a full court pass, and get an easy layup right back. And then he has to travel the entire length of the floor once again, exerting more energy, getting more tired, and not scoring more points than us. Therefore, uh, my intramural basketball team would definitely defeat LeBron in a game of 1v5. Thank you for arguing with me all those times that you guys thought that you would uh, somehow have a a chance of LeBron beating us 1v5, but uh, in no circumstance would that ever happen on the face of the planet. Next question. This one comes from another person who was involved in that same argument, Mr. Graham. Graham, good friend of mine, known him for a long time, played sports with him, knew him in high school, knew him all these years. Um, Graham is asking me which QB sits atop the AFC West throne. Graham, I'm glad you asked. If we're talking about the AFC West throne, then we're probably talking about the history of the AFC West. The AFC West is a division that has been won by the Raiders 15 times, the Broncos 15 times, the Chargers 15 times, and the Chiefs only 14 times. So since those three teams have won the AFC West more than the Chiefs, I think we have to eliminate the Chiefs from this discussion. (laughs) Uh, um, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to try to spin the argument in my favor. Um, There is one quarterback that sits atop the AFC West throne, and that is the quarterback for the team that has won the division six years in a row. But uh, I would like to educate you on some of the differences that Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert have had coming into the NFL. Let's take a listen to each quarterback and their situation as they arrived into the NFL. Patrick Mahomes came into the NFL. He was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs. He joins a team that has a future Hall of Fame head coach, Andy Reid. He has the best tight end in the NFL, Travis Kelsey. He had the fastest wide receiver in the NFL to throw to, Tyreek Hill. He has a top three kicker in the NFL, Harrison Butker. I've watched this guy hit 58-yard game-winning field goals, something a Charger kicker has never done and will never do. Patrick Mahomes got to sit For most of the first season, he was in the league, and he got to watch and learn from a former number one overall draft pick, quarterback Alex Smith. The Chiefs had a winning record the past four seasons before Mahomes joined. The Chiefs always have an above-average special teams unit. They're very well coached in special teams, which means they're not going to have costly mistakes in that unit, usually. I think they actually did have a muff punt this weekend, but that is very rare. Um, They're going to very much be well-coached in that category. Um, The Chiefs, at the point Mahomes was drafted, they did have an average offensive line. Maybe there's some better ones out there, so I'll give you that. Um, Their defense was a little suspect as well, so I'll give you that. But um, 
Mahomes coming into the NFL, you could not ask for much of a better situation. Um, stability, talent, speed, uh, structure. Every, it checks pretty much all the boxes you could want as a quarterback coming in. Now let's go look at what Justin Herbert had as he comes into the NFL and joins the Chargers. Herbert gets drafted to the Chargers. The Chargers had a bottom five head coach in the NFL, Anthony Lynn. He was awful at clock management. He was an awful decision maker, and he deservingly was fired at the end of the season. Justin Herbert had a bottom five offensive line in the NFL. You could argue it was the worst offensive line in the NFL his rookie year. The Chargers had a bottom five kicker in the NFL, Michael Badgley. Um, He was cut at the end of the season. You could argue he might have been the worst kicker in the NFL that year. Um, Justin Herbert got to sit for one game behind a journeyman quarterback, Tyrod Taylor, a guy who's bounced around from team to team to team for one game. Then in week two, he was thrown into action unexpectedly when our team doctor punctures Tyrod Taylor's lung, giving him a pain-killing injection. Um, Herbert was thrown into the fire with no warning. He had about a minute before kickoff when he was told, and he came in and led the Chargers on a very impressive opening drive against the Chiefs, and that actually was the game that uh, Harrison Butker hit that crazy long field goal for the win. The Chargers, when Justin Herbert joined them, had the worst special teams unit in the NFL. There's not much arguing about that. Um, It was the absolute worst, and it's not much better today. There's a slight improvement right now, but um, you can count on the Chargers having terrible special teams. Um, That's what Herbert had to deal with. Justin Herbert had a below-average defense, so similar with the Chiefs there. And the one thing I will give you, Herbert had above-average receivers. He had Keenan Allen. He had Mike Williams. Um, he had some some other solid contributors, but um, there you go. Uh, that might contribute to some of the differences in um, success between these quarterbacks. Uh, the situation you come into in the NFL very much has an effect on your success, and I think we, if you listen to the explanation that I just gave you, maybe you have a better understanding of why Uh, Mahomes is making deep playoff runs and winning a Super Bowl and why Justin Herbert and the Chargers um, have not reached the playoffs since 2018. Another question comes in from Graham. Thank you, Graham, for contributing. I very much appreciate it. This is actually one of the most interesting questions I've been asked uh, to date, and that is, What would your starting lineup look like for a baseball team if it was made up from athletes from nine different sports other than baseball? I had to do some digging. I had to do a lot of research for this one. Uh, I hope that you approve of my lineup, Graham. You might be able to come up with a better one, but this is what I have concocted for you. I don't know the the right order to go through a baseball lineup, so I'm just going to start with catcher because that's closest to home base, I guess. Um, At catcher, we're going to have Gable Stevenson, who was a wrestler at the University of Minnesota. 
Um, my, my reasoning for this one is that I've seen the stereotype about, um, catchers being like, you need to be the toughest guy on the team to be a catcher. And you're like doing the dirty work, I guess. So I want to choose a wrestler. And I think Gable Stevenson is a big, athletic, powerful man. And uh, that'll fulfill my wrestling sport requirement. So shout out to Gable. You're going to be locking down home base for us. We move over to pitcher, where we are going to have Pat Connaughton, who is an NBA player. Um, Pat played baseball at Notre Dame. So he has college experience playing baseball. And I think that uh, his NBA athleticism is going to help him be pitcher for our team. So there you go. Over to first base. At first base, we have a man by the name Ravindra Jadeha. He is a cricket player. Uh, I believe he was named the best fielder in Indian cricket history. So... If you need a guy over there in the field catching balls, bringing in uh, catches and all this good stuff that you do at first base, you got to be able to uh, have a head on a swivel and catch the balls coming in. Uh, he's got some cricket experience being a fielder, so hopefully that'll translate over to baseball playing first base. Welcome to the team, Ravindra Jadeha. Now second base. A man by the name of Gary Woodland. Gary Woodland is a professional golfer, and he was also a standout player, and um, a standout player of baseball, that is. He played on a travel team growing up, and uh, that's, that's what I got for golf, is Gary Woodland. He has a little bit of a baseball background, so he's going to be locking down second base for us. Let's head over to shortstop, where we have a guy named Josh Williams. This guy plays soccer. He's in the MLS. He received D1 offers to play baseball, and he was a solid shortstop, but he ended up going the soccer route and playing in the MLS. Josh Williams, welcome to the team. You're going to be playing shortstop. Over at third base, we are going to choose a man that is the current world champion in javelin throwing Mr. Anderson Peters. I'm hoping that the javelin throwing will translate to baseball throwing. Um, he's going to need to field the ball over there and whip it over to first base. So um, Mr. Track and Field Athlete Anderson Peters, world champion javelin thrower, you're going to be over at third base. Welcome to the team. Onward, we go to left field. Left field, we're choosing a guy named... Gael Monfils. He plays tennis professionally. He is one of the most athletic tennis players you will find in today's game. He's super flexible. He can jump. He can run. And I think Gael Monfils, M-O-N-F-I-L-S. I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Monfils. Monfils. <laughs> um, Gael, you're going to be at left field. Welcome to the team. Hopefully you can perform at center field, uh, a position that is very important, we're going to have a player that is very talented in baseball, and that is Kyler Murray from the NFL. 
Uh, he was drafted in the first round of the MLB draft in 2018, the ninth overall pick. That's impressive. He, I remember leading up to the NFL draft that year, he was on the fence if he wanted to play MLB or if he wanted to play NFL. He's going to be the guy back there uh, fielding in the center field. He's going to use that arm to send it wherever we need him to send it. And uh, you might be wondering why I didn't choose Mahomes. Um, I think Kyler Murray is probably a better baseball prospect from what I've seen because Mahomes, I think Mahomes is drafted in the MLB in like the 30-somethingth round maybe. But um, Kyler Murray was first-round selection, so I'm going to give it to him at the last position of our lineup, of our nine-man non-baseball player lineup, a person named Jamie Ben. Jamie Ben is an NHL hockey player. He was named MVP of his AAA team back in 2006, so he's going to be having some experience over there in right field, and he's going to bring some toughness as a hockey player, so uh, we love to see that. There you go, Graham. We fulfilled the requirements. We have players from wrestling, basketball, cricket, golf, soccer, track and field, tennis, football, and hockey. There's the baseball lineup. I think that our squad would uh, give any other nine-man non-baseball squad a run for their money, and we would take home first place any day. Next question comes from the only other Chargers fan that I'm aware of in the state of Iowa, my good friend Zach. Shout out, Zach. He asks, why do the Chargers break me every year? And he asked this question before the Chargers played against the Jaguars and lost by 28. And all the injuries that just flooded in from this past week. Zach asked this question before that. So I think that kind of lets you know how the Chargers fans just know at a certain point that things are going downhill and it even accelerated since he asked this question. So I have even more of a response than you were probably originally originally planning for, Zach. So buckle up here, my man. It's about to get real. Leadership in the NFL, or really anywhere, starts at the top, and it trickles on down. That means your owner of the NFL franchise has a big impact on everything that is below them, which is everything. Uh, the owner has a big part in deciding who is the GM, general manager, and then the general manager has a big part in deciding who is the head coach, and the coach makes a ton of decisions about the team. So the Chargers currently have an owner named Dean Spanos. He is widely hated among Chargers fans. He is known for being cheap. He is known for not really focusing on doing what it takes to build a winning culture. A lot of people were very pissed off when he decided to move the team from San Diego to LA, leaving a huge part of our fan base behind and going to a city that didn't really want us. But um, it was a, a deal that we could share a stadium with the Rams, and so he decided to jump on that. And Spanos has done <clears throat> a lot of questionable things over the years. I'm not going to get into the specifics, but um, he's just not necessarily what you're looking for in an owner. Um, 
we've hired for three first-time head coaches in a row, going back to 2013 with Mike McCoy, then we have Anthony Lynn, and then currently we have Brandon Staley. Um, if you hire a first-time head coach, it's probably going to be a cheaper contract than an established head coach who is a proven uh, success or winner in other spots. So I think this is part of the way that Spanos is trying to save on money, possibly just hiring the unproven guy. And uh, it's really not worked for us. We haven't done squat. We haven't won the division since 2009. And we need big changes. I know it's week three, but uh, Chargers fans, we know how this movie ends. And there's a lot of pain ahead this season. Year after year, our teams are plagued with injuries. Um, Chargers injured this year include Justin Herbert, who has a fractured rib cartilage. He's fighting through it somehow, but he's playing not at 100%. We have Joey Bosa, who was just injured this week with a groin injury. We have JC Jackson, who somehow doctors discovered that he has an extra bone in his foot and it needed to be surgically removed, and now that ankle and foot area is being inflamed, and that's just the Chargers' luck. You sign one of the best corners in the NFL. They found that he has an extra bone in his foot that needs to be removed. You can't make this stuff up, man. It's just classic Chargers. It's just, I don't even know. So Herbert Bosa, J.C. Jackson... Uh, I believe Kenneth Murray is battling some injuries. Um, not sure exactly the extent on that. Um, you look over at the offensive side of the ball. Rayshon Slater, former first-round pick, excellent left tackle, just tore his biceps, and he'll be out for the season. Um, on the right side of the offensive line, we have Trey Pipkins, who is our starting right tackle. He's been battling some injuries. He's been in and out of the lineup. Not sure about his status. Then the man in the middle, Corey Lindsley, former Pro Bowl center that we acquired from the Packers a couple seasons ago. He's been battling injuries. He's been out for about a game and a half. Um, you look over at the wide receivers. You've got Jalen Guyton just tore his ACL. He'll be done for the year. Uh, Herbert likes throwing to him. He's a good deep target for us. Um, yeah. That's uh that's a lot of injuries. That's a lot of Pro Bowl level talent players that are injured, and I haven't even mentioned yet Keenan Allen battling a hamstring injury week to week. Not sure if he'll be ready to go. Um it's just pain across the board, guys. Chargers fans, this is nothing new for us. We will continue to hope for better luck, hope for better coaching, hope for better management. Uh, hope for a brighter future. But uh, after one of the most hyped up off seasons of all time, uh, it's looking like this will be going downhill from here. Next question. Next question comes from Alec, or should I say A-Mob. What a legend. I remember uh, watching A-Mob and the Junior Cougars lace him up back in the day. Uh, He's a good friend of my brother back in the oh late 2000s, early 2010s. They would be playing some uh, AAU basketball for the Junior Cougars. 
I would come to some of the practices and watch. I would come to some of the games and watch a mob getting buckets always. He is a big Chiefs fan, so we like to talk some trash about that. Uh, he's asking me this week, when are you going to have me on the podcast to talk about Chiefs versus Chargers? Whew. Dude, you let me know what your schedule's looking like. You let me know where you're at geographically. I will try to schedule a time for us to get together and we can hash out some of the recent matchups. Unfortunately, that will be pretty painful on my end, talking about the recent game, but uh, I'm willing to do it, man. I'll, I will drive the distance, have a conversation with AMOB, Chargers Chiefs. Um, I think people would love that. I think it's a really in- entertaining rivalry, um, always a high-scoring, two great quarterbacks, uh, a lot of fireworks going on, close games. Chargers usually away, find a way to uh, screw it up in the end, but uh, that's a great conversation that we can have someday, A-Mob, so hit me up with your schedule, and we'll figure something out. Next question comes in from Cougar Hall of Famer Ryan King. What's up, Ryan? Shout out to you, my good sir. Haven't talked to you in a long time. Hope everything's going well. Hope you're still getting buckets like always. Ryan is asking me, how does one become a lethal three-point shooter like yourself? I love it, man. This is one of the best questions you can ask. Not only is it a topic I love and a subject that I'm great at, but my man put a compliment inside of the question. What a guy. Shout out to my boy, Ryan. Our king. The legend. How does one become a lethal three-point shooter? Um, well... It really helps, from at least from my experience, it really helps to start playing basketball at a very young age. The earlier that you get started with basketball, the better feel for the game you're going to have, the better coordination you're going to have, the more time you're going to have to start forming good habits in basketball. Getting that elbow tucked in when you're shooting, getting that guide hand placed in the right spot, Uh, leaving enough space in between the ball and your fingers, the flick of the wrist, the hand in the cookie jar, the gooseneck, all that good stuff. Um, It's really important that you you start early and you, you really focus on form first. I know that as a young kid um, on a 10 foot hoop, you're not really going to be able to make baskets from very far out. So I think it's even fine as a younger kid to lower the hoop if possible and work on form if you need to. Then practice stepping back further as you get it down, raising the hoop higher as you get it down. I used to shoot it on eight-foot hoop back in the day when I was super young and eventually worked my way up to 10 feet. But um, just practicing good habits, man. Uh, Feet shoulder-width apart, squared up. Your your toes pointing at the rim, eyes on the target, um, getting getting all those good habits in. Once you kind of uh, start getting familiar with the right structure for a, a jump shot and a three point shot, you get all the fundamentals down. Then that's the fun part. Then once you have this point locked in, it just becomes a matter of reps. You just gotta practice. You gotta practice. Shoot, shoot, shoot. You got to take your corner threes, you got to take your wing threes, your top of the key threes, 
nail in that form, make sure that it is picture perfect and get the reps in, get yourself a shooting gun that will, uh, get the cannon shooting towards you, get yourself a, a, a friend that can rebound for you, get in the gym, practice these things. Uh, that's what really helped me getting that muscle memory going is so important because when you're shooting a three pointer, you don't want to be thinking about form, power, accuracy, aim, all that stuff. You want to just have it be second nature. You just, you get the ball, you shoot the ball because you don't have time in the game to think about all these things. It has to be catch and shoot, man. Or in some people's case, dribble and shoot. I was never really a good, uh, shoot off the dribble kind of player. I was more of a catch and shoot, but whatever situation you're going to be in, you want that to be as natural and as easy for you as possible. And that helps when you start young, you focus on form, you focus on fundamentals and you get the reps in. Once all this is in place, then you got to work on stamina because you can shoot perfect only for, if you can only shoot perfect for a couple quarters of basketball, you're not going to be very effective in the fourth quarter, man. So you got to get the reps in. You got to build up your stamina so you can keep doing this over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, there's a video of Steph Curry hitting like over a hundred threes in a row, I believe. Dude is insane. His stamina is insane. He keeps going. The shot looks the same every time. So, um, yeah, that's my process for becoming a great shooter. Uh, but what do I know? I'm just the three point shooting state champion. So, <laughs> oh man, great question, Ryan. Thank you so much. Next question coming in from JJ. JJ, a good friend of mine from back in the elementary school days, and then went to a different middle school, but then we reunited in high school. And then um, we, uh, we've been our, our separate ways for a little while now. But JJ, thank you for checking in with the boys. Of course, we appreciate you. He's asking, when are you getting all the Jackson Elementary boys on the podcast? Whew. Great question. I would love to round up the Jackson Jets for a podcast, man. Because there's so many characters. There's so many people that I'm very familiar with, that I'm semi-familiar with these days. And then there's people that I really don't talk to anymore from Jackson. So um, it would actually probably be better to have this on Zoom because I think some of uh, the Jackson squad have flown their jets out of state and are no longer in the state of Iowa. So um, maybe if we message some people that we can find and throw throw together a zoom call get the boys the 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 old the og jets together man talk about some times i think if we talk about recess alone that could be just an hour of content right there uh gym class also had some classic memories man going up and jumping up and hitting the hand oh man i'll tell you what that was the peak like if you could hit the hand at the highest notch you were like the king of the class, man. So that was something we always strive for. So many fun memories in Jackson. JJ, my man, I bet you have a lot of memories that I wouldn't remember. So hit me up if you ever want to come on and we'll get the Jets together and we'll, we'll talk it out like old times. Next question comes from a previous guest on this show, Gwen Shairat. IT intern 2022 at Green State. Shout out, Gwen. Gwen is asking me the question, Why are you the way that you are? Great question, Gwen. My response to that is, 
Every time I try to do something fun or exciting, you make it not that way. I hate so much about the things you choose to be. <laughs> if you're not familiar, that is a office reference. I don't know if that's the office reference that you intended, Gwen, or if you are genuinely curious why I am the way I am, but um, I interpret that as an office reference first. But in all seriousness, I will answer your question. I am the way that I am because of the experiences that I've had in my life. And this starts at a young age. I think our parents have a huge influence in the people that we become and the environment that we have as a, as a child. So what you go through in your childhood, the experiences you have, the things you see, the places you go, um, these play a huge role in shaping you and determining your life, forming habits and all that good stuff. So I'm very thankful to have uh, all the opportunities and experiences and lessons that I've learned throughout my life. And I think that that is the reason why I am the way I am. We are down to our final question. This is coming in from Mr. Jeremy, who is a Iowa Hawkeye youth basketball camp legend. Absolute goat. Jeremy, my man, thank you for checking in with the podcast. Always a pleasure. He's asking, is Spencer Petrus the problem at Iowa, or is it something else? This is a huge topic as of late. So many people have been debating this. Um, I don't claim to be an expert on the situation. I am a lifelong Hawkeye football fan, so I do have some perspective here, but obviously I've never been um, a college football player, so I couldn't tell you. I'm not a college coach, so I don't have the golden response for you here, but this is from my point of view. I'll let you know. Uh, I don't think it's 100% Spencer's fault. I don't think he is the only person to blame, but I don't, at the same time, he isn't exactly helping the situation we're in. Um, Iowa football has had a similar play style for my entire life, and that is play defense and run the ball and solid special teams, well-coached, not necessarily the best athletes, but we, we play smart, we play physical, we're tough. And uh, that's just kind of the way that Kirk Ferentz wants us to be and the way that Iowa has traditionally done things. And this is a solid approach to football. I think that uh, 20 or 30 years ago, this formula was super, super popular, probably one of the most popular approaches. But uh, you look around the college football landscape today and football in general, you're seeing quarterbacks that are super athletic. They can move out of the pocket. They can throw on the run. They can execute RPOs, run pass options. They can move the pocket. They can get out and do things where you look at Iowa's quarterbacks um, Spencer Petrus, Nathan Stanley, um, not exactly what comes to mind when you think of athletic quarterbacks, I guess. Um, that doesn't mean that we can't have success with them because obviously Nate Stanley had a lot of great achievements in his career and, uh, Petrus took us to like it or not. Petrus took us to the big 10 championship game last year. So this isn't necessarily, limiting us but I think that if we had a dynamic quarterback it would open so many doors for us I think 
we would have much more plays to call, much more flexibility on offense. And I think that maybe that would help Brian Ferentz a little bit because um, being able to get have a quarterback that can run around and uh, still deliver accurate throws, it would open up the playbook so much and take pressure off of other people. So not necessarily Petrus's fault. I think it needs to be emphasized in Iowa's recruiting a little more. I know we did bring in Deuce Hogan, and he ended up transferring, but uh, I think that Iowa needs to kind of make it known that we are open to the idea of having a mobile quarterback, and that will help us down the road. Um, Wide receivers in today's football game are getting faster. They're getting more skilled at younger ages, and I think that Iowa football has struggled to have good wide receiver play. Um, I don't know of really any Iowa wide receivers that have done anything in the NFL. Maybe Tim Dwight back in the day. Tim Dwight actually played for the Chargers at one time. But uh, other than that, maybe Marvin McNutt briefly was on a preseason squad or like a a couple weeks into a regular season, I think. Um, But yeah. We don't usually have good wide receivers, and I think that today's football, it's very important to have fast, big, athletic, dynamic receivers that can do a bunch of different things and create after the catch. So I think that we need to kind of shift our thinking a little bit, not necessarily ditch the current plan, but kind of evolve into recruiting better athletes and and, and it's not as easy as it sounds but uh those are those are the weak spots i think mobile qbs we don't have uh dynamic receivers we don't necessarily have if we were able to fix those two things i think our offensive line year after year performs very well i think our running backs are solid tight ends are always great defense is always great um defense i mean special teams you're always going to be able to count on them quarterbacks and receiver men that's uh that's the weakness for iowa and i think brian ference hasn't exactly done a great job as coordinator but at the same time we are limited with our roster a little bit so multiple people to blame not 100 spencer not 100 brian there's more to it than that but uh having dynamic quarterbacks and better performing receivers, I think is the highest priority of where we can improve upon our weaknesses in the Iowa football program. All right. That was all 19 questions that you guys asked me. I hope I was able to provide the answer you were looking for. Um, this was a lot of fun for me. This was very interesting. Get to engage with the listeners and, uh, let them dictate some of the content in today's episode. This one's going to be a long one. We're already over an hour 22, and I still haven't gotten to what's cooking. So uh, let's head on over and see what is cooking in each of the four categories. What's cooking in sports? Iowa football defeats Rutgers. We are led by our defense, as you just heard. Um, We had two defensive touchdowns to start out this game. One of them being a Cooper DeGene incredible over-the-shoulder interception 
turns around, weaves through the Rutgers, and finds his way to the end zone. That was incredible. Uh, I was watching it at my parents' house with a ton of family uh, surrounding us, and uh, we were all jumping up and down, going crazy when that happened. Uh, you love to see it, man. We got athletes in some places on the Iowa roster. One of them is definitely Cooper DeGene, a sophomore. He could probably play so many different positions for us, and we're excited to have him on the squad. Um, next week, the Hawks take on Michigan, and it's at home. Unfortunately, it's not a night game. Uh, the schedulers kind of did us dirty there. It's an 11 a.m. kick, so Kinnick has got to be rocking nice and early, and uh, we're going to see if we can drum up some Kinnick magic and upset the number four Wolverines. Uh, I think it's possible. Um Michigan definitely showed that they're beatable this week. They had a close one with Maryland. So I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing leading into this week. But uh, Big Ten is uh, up for up for grabs, I'd say. Uh, definitely Ohio State leading the way. They're pretty dominant at this point. But uh, nothing is certain in the Big Ten as of right now. Meanwhile, in the NFL... The sky is falling for the Chargers. The sky is falling, and it's doom and gloom, and it's disappointment. And I've covered this already in the Zach question from earlier, so uh, I'm going to kind of spare you the explanation, mostly because I've already shared it with you. But uh, Chargers were defeated by 28 points by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Coming off of a Thursday game last week means we had extra time to prepare for this week. We had a 10-day prep schedule, so we were able to watch more film, do more preparation, have more practice than the other team, and we are probably favored over the other team. We have better talent. We have better players. Um, We are supposed to be able to win this type of game, and uh, the Chargers do what they do best. They have a head-scratching blowout defeat to a team that has been one of the worst teams in the NFL the past couple of years. However, I will say the Jags this year might be something worth noting. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is starting to find his groove. Doug Peterson has got those boys working. And uh, who knows? I hope that the Jags have a successful season because it would make the Chargers look a little bit better. But... Uh, We'll have to wait and see how that turns out. Who would have thought three weeks in that the only two NFL teams that are undefeated are the Eagles and the Dolphins? Huh? (laughs) Eagles and Dolphins, bro. What? That's what it is, guys. Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, both Alabama quarterbacks leading their NFL teams to undefeated starts. Um, I do have Jalen Hurts in one of my fantasy leagues, so I definitely appreciate that. But... I think the Eagles are a force to be reckoned with, and they're definitely in the front running to win that division, NFC East. Um, Traditionally one of the worst divisions in football the past 15, 20 years. But uh, yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on it and see how these things turn out. What's cooking in finance? The S&P 500 has hit a new low for the year of 2022. We have eclipsed the previous low of middle of June, 
and we are in uncharted territory for this year, guys. Not great for investors unless you have a diamond hand long-term mindset like myself. This is a perfect opportunity to keep buying, keep dollar cost averaging, keep contributing to your Roths, your 401ks, your IRAs, all that good stuff. Now is the time you want to accumulate some uh, S&P 500. If you're looking for a low-cost index fund or an ETF that is tracking the S&P 500, I would recommend buying at this point because uh, this is one of the, the lowest points that you're going to be able to get it at. But um, I don't even know if this is the bottom, guys. We might have more room to go down. So it's it's scariness. It's uh, FUD, FUD central, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. FUD, FUD, FUD. You got to be careful in these markets. You got to uh, be smart. Don't panic sell. Trust the process. And we'll get through this eventually. Meanwhile, in crypto, um, the Thanos of the crypto industry, a.k.a. Sam Bankman-Fried, the CEO of FTX, my man is collecting all those Infinity Stones. He is going around scooping up these bankrupt uh, or on the verge of bankrupt companies. We already know that Sam Bankman-Fried um, and FTX were working on something to acquire BlockFi. Now that they're going to be talking about buying out Voyager, another big brokerage, crypto exchange. Um, we've also had rumors that Bankman-Fried might be looking for a Celsius deal. Who knows? My man is sweeping the floor of uh, crypto companies that have failed. And I think that this is going to make FTX even stronger. Um, it's really impressive what Sam Bankman-Fried's doing. And he's also uh, supposedly donating 99% of his wealth to charity, which is insane to think about how much money that is. But uh, he's a character. He's an interesting man. He's different than a lot of others. And FTX is a force to be reckoned with right now in the crypto industry. What's cooking in technology? Food lovers, if you are a food nut, listen up. Chipotle is piloting several technologies designed to streamline operations and reduce friction for guests and employees, the company announced on Tuesday. What Chipotle is doing is that they are implementing technologies that include a kitchen management system from Pressy Taste, which is a, a company that uh, produces that sort of uh, product, I guess, and a location-based technology through Flyby to enhance their app functionality. And the chain will also begin testing its Chippy pilot in-store at a Fountain Valley, California unit in October. And what that's going to be doing is these pilots, on they're going to be built on the company's ongoing deployments this year, which include a pilot of radio frequency identification to improve tracing and inventory management in the chain's food supply. That was a complex explanation, but long story short, Chipotle is innovating. They are exploring different technologies to help them streamline their operations and uh, make better decisions um, and improve company logistics and all that good stuff. We love to see this, guys. 
Technology can be used in many different ways to help your company. Chipotle is embracing this. They've been mentioning perhaps an artificial intelligence implementation to improve their company. And I think that that is great. I think that other food industry companies should explore similar opportunities because um, there's so many things that artificial intelligence is able to recognize and compute and notice that humans would not be able to. So might as well leverage the technology that we have to help your business grow. What's cooking in video games? Have you guys heard of the crypto called Shiba Inu? Supposedly the Dogecoin killer, as it's called by some people, the rival of uh, Dogecoin. I'm always going to be Dogecoin gang, but um, Shiba Inu's got an interesting project coming out in the video game space, so I got to share some news here. They're coming out with a video game called Shiba Eternity. They are partnering with a company called Playside Studios, and they have a seven-figure budget for this game. Holy moly. There will be two variations of this game, one of them being a mobile version where you can play uh, with your little Shiba Inus in this phone game, and then there's also going to be an NFT game that incorporates uh, the Shiboshi NFT project. So uh, a couple different ways you're going to be able to play Shiba Eternity. Um, there's a video of it on Twitter that I saw. It kind of looks like it. there's a card aspect to the game where you're like building a deck of cards and you have to use them to battle against other opponents. And it's all themed around the type of dog, Shiba Inu. So there's going to be some sort of a burning mechanism with the Shiba Inu crypto. So be on the lookout for that. I don't really know a whole lot of what that entails, but... Uh, Crypto heads, crypto nerds, you might have a better description of that than I am able to provide at this point. It's still early on. I believe this will be released early October from what I've seen. So um, video games, metaverse crossover. Uh, not necessarily metaverse, I guess, yet, but uh, video games and crypto uh, crossovers are taking place. Um, it's cool. It's cool to see the innovation. The possibilities are endless. And um, people that dare to try new things with technology might fail at first, but I think that they'll be positioned for success by experimenting with some of the latest and greatest technology. So that's always going to be interesting to me. Hopefully that was interesting to you guys because that'll wrap it up for this week's episode. Thank you for listening and asking all those questions. I appreciate you guys very much. If you did not ask me a question and you would like to ask me a question, I think I might have another Q&A for episode 20. This could be an every 10 episode type of deal, but uh, we'll have to see once we we'll cross that bridge when we get there. How about that? Thank you all very much. At what's underscore cooking on Twitter and Instagram. Follow me on both of those platforms. Stay up to date. I post videos on YouTube with the podcast. Um, that's another platform where you can consume the content. So just all about giving you guys different ways to listen. And uh, that's the plan for now. So thank you all. We will see you next week for another episode. Hopefully guest episode. We are unconfirmed at this point, but we will see when we come back next Wednesday. Have a good one, y'all. <laughs>